www.ethangoodman.com. It's coming out in May 2016. I want to thank Ethan Goodman for uh, talking to me today on the Atomic Podcast. Ethan blows up the news on a verbal scale. Check it out. Reduced by the E, the HNIC, repping New York City. Live and direct, cause he always come correct. When he does an interview, it makes the streets all connect. He stimulates the brain, the mobile device. And what he smash like the Hulk when he claps you with advice. It's all about the news when he drops and beats home. So pay close attention, shit's about to explode. Ladies and gentlemen, I have actress, producer, director, and writer. And she is Miss America. Ladies and gentlemen, Elizabeth Grayson. Elizabeth, it's a pleasure to talk to you. Oh, thank you so much for having me on your show. That's quite an intro. That's pretty funny. <laughs> thank it, you very well, much. It's the truth, though. I'm not lying. I know, but it just sounds funny, especially when you tag it with a Miss America thing. It makes me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> so this is your first podcast ever, you said? It is. Not my first to listen to, but my first to actually um, be part of. Yeah. So thank you very much for having me do it. Nah, it's, it's a pleasure to talk to you. You know, you have, you know, there's so many things you've been involved in from acting, voiceover work. Just take me back to the beginning of Arkansas. How's, how, how was your upbringing? How was everything over there? Oh, wow. Um, I definitely, I, I lived in Arkansas, uh, well, Born and raised in a small, small town. Uh, born in Ozark, raised in Boonville and Russellville, which are both, all, all of them are small towns. <laughs> uh, and uh, Arkansas is kind of a small town in a way. Everyone knows everyone's business, but uh, in a good <laughs> and a bad way. But yeah. um, um, I, uh, you know, I had a kind of difficult childhood. I won't go into details, but pretty difficult. Okay. Um, and by the time I got to high school, I think when I was a junior, maybe it was a senior in high school, um, I realized they were offering the Miss Junior Miss pageant. And I thought, oh, what's that? And um, I sang and uh, played the piano and did all that. And I thought, oh, maybe I could do this because there was scholarship money involved. I'm not from a, a wealthy family, mm-hmm. um, sort of lower middle class, I guess, um, until later on in my life. And my mom married a doctor and we did, you know, they were doing a lot better. But, um, I just sort of used pageants as a way of funding my school. Um, I also had academic scholarships my senior year to the local college, and um, but, but the Miss Arkansas pageant, I was involved in the whole thing, the pageant world, for about three years, two and a half years um, before I won Miss America. You kind of have to do a, um, just like Miss USA is a system, system Miss America is a system, and you do the local pageant, the state pageant, the you know Miss America pageant, and um, so I went to the local state levels for about a year and a half and finally got to the Miss Arkansas pageant and got first runner up and um, lost the title to the first uh, African-American uh, Miss Arkansas ever, which was pretty, pretty cool. And, you know, obviously I was disappointed because I didn't win, but I, I realized <laughs> the importance of the whole occasion. Yeah. Um, but then I kind of did the whole system again and uh, won Miss Arkansas and then went on to Miss America. So it didn't take me a long time, but I, I realized from the beginning of all that process that I sort of fit the mold of what they wanted, um, and I sort of had a mentor. Uh, he was sort of a closeted gay man in Arkansas. There were a lot of them at the time <laughs> in the uh, late 70s and 80s, but um, he was sort of my Bengali, my mentor, and um, helped orchestrate the whole thing for me. Uh, I don't think I would have done it on my own, but he was really helpful. I mean, he's, he's passed on now, but... Um, 
you know, he, he was he was sort of, he was Miss America more than me, but he, he got me to the title. And as soon as I won in Atlantic City, um, you know, then, then you get scared because you're like, oh, what the hell do I do now? Yeah. <laughs> so then I, oh, what do I do? But you, you know, that year you travel um, across the United States uh, about 200,000 miles, so that would have been 1982, 200,000 miles in a year, every other day you're on an airplane, you're hired out, um, they, the year before, I mean, they just hire Miss America, they don't hire you, so you're just filling in slots for the year, and I made a lot of money, and more scholarship money, and um, I was having to perform every day, singing and sort of entertaining a 30-minute show every other day, signing autographs, doing all that stuff, and uh, I suppose I got the performance bug a little bit, and mm-hmm. decided to move from Arkansas after that year, and I moved to New York City, and um, moved to Climate Post, where you live now, and uh, studied acting at HP Studios down in the village, and um, that's sort of where it began, I made my living doing commercials, and uh, my husband at the time, who was from Arkansas, we, he just he wasn't suited to there, and we weren't really happy. So I moved back to Arkansas, mm-hmm. got a divorce, landed a couple of um, movies that uh, came to the state because Arkansas, I think it's still a work to write state. So a lot of films were coming to that area that could be shot in the south, and I got the parts in those films. And the director was the directors of the films were so encouraging, saying, you know, what are you doing here? You can't have a career here. You've got to come to LA. So I. Um, came out to L.A. and began, the, you know, a serious pursuit of a, an acting career, which I did for, I don't know, 20 years or so, and, uh, you know, I was lucky enough to finally get a great role on um, Highlander, which has been sort of a reoccurring um, part as Amanda for about six years, and then uh, I did the one-year spinoff of uh, Raven, Highlander the Raven, and... Um, I don't know. It was all. It was all good. Um, that's sort of the way it began, and then uh, then the wheel fell off, and all what the hell. <laughs> I revived, and I'm coming back. <laughs> oh, elaborate. What do you mean? Um, it all went to hell. Like not literally, though, right? Like. Um. Well, you know. Um. Oh, it's a long story. If you're Wikipedia, oh, it's not all on there, but you can probably find it <laughs> on the internet. But uh. Just had some unfortunate, um, uh, had a very unfortunate relationship with a man who was a uh, sociopath, basically con man, who stole not only my money, but um, sort of circumference of my good close friends, took money from them as well, sort of a Ponzi scheme type thing. And um, we all suffered great losses, and um, it was it was pretty devastating at the time. This was at the end of, ni- like, 1999, and... Um, I had to reassess. I came back to the States. I was in Paris at the time because Highlander shot in Canada and in Paris mm-hmm. um, for all those years. So half a year in one location and half a year in uh, Europe. And um, so I came back and had to reassess. I did bankruptcy and um, had to move back to L.A. basically and pursue acting. My heart wasn't in it, as you can imagine. I basically had the wind knocked out of my sails and... Um, um, but I was fortunate enough to meet a fella uh, that I'd known for 20-some-odd years, and um, over time developed a relationship, and, you know, I hung around, and I had a kid, and she's 10 now, and uh, in the meantime, during those years, I was writing books, and uh, gradually became a filmmaker, 
I'm just now um, back in the fray of acting again. I, I'm just, I just have a couple of agents. I, I don't know that I'm going to do it, actually. I've got, I've got sort of everyone lined up. We'll see what happens. I don't know. I prefer being on the other side of the camera now. I prefer <laughs> writing, um, painting, and just being a bit more... Um, not being in the spotlight as much. It doesn't suit me so much anymore, but I'm not uh, opposed to it. I just, I don't know yet. It's, it's all up in the air right now. What is the fascination with writing? Did you Was you always a writer in school? Is it, uh, like, what's the, what's, what's, what's the passion about writing that you have? Yeah, I guess I've always written, I'm a big, uh, I've always kept journals and um, written short stories and poetry, things like that, and, and then scripts eventually, I, that's primarily what I've written on our scripts. Um, Shalili, the my young adult novel, is uh, my first novel. Can you hear my dogs barking? Yes, yes, that's that's, that's fine. <laughs> They're crazy. They're crazy. <laughs> um, sorry about that. It's okay. Um, um, but um, I, I the, the year right before I got pregnant, I um, started. I, I have a great friend who writes romance novels, mm-hmm. and I don't really read romance. And she she was really into trying to pursue a career in romance writing. And I thought, oh, okay, well, let me research this. So she had a, a vast library of books, and I read a lot of them, and I really couldn't get into them, but I was trying to learn the genre. And um, um, I, can't, I, I knew I wanted to write for young adult novels. I love Harry Potter. My kids, you know, we, we're very immersed in all that and all the young adult books that are written right now. Um, and I just happened to read an article in um, Scientific American on um, the Pythia and Mount Parnassus at Delphi in Greece, you know, ancient Greece, archaic Greece, basically, mm-hmm. and this whole temple there. And the, the thrust of the article was about um, the science of why these young women would go into these trances, these, these Pythia or oracles would go into these crazy trances, and they would um, supposedly prophesy that they were, they were literally... Um, Buttering gibberish and barking like dogs and what? you know just crazy crazy stuff. But people were coming to them and asking you know questions, and the priests of Delphi were interpreting that gibberish into prophecies. So basically, you know, it was about these men um, exploiting these young women and um, coming up with prophecies that were manipulative and would you know suit whatever was beneficial to Delphi or to whatever the city-states in Greece at the time, which was called Hellas, you know. So I, I just became sort of fascinated with this idea, and uh, that was the feed of writing this story about a, a girl who wants to be an oracle, but she's really a mystic, and, you know, it just sort of went from there. And then it, then it just, I can't even tell you when I decided those characters should um, travel to a parallel dimension, and she turned into a butterfly girl called Shalili. I can't really tell you, it just sort of happened. Um, as a process, but it was a great, um, great process for me, and um, I enjoyed writing. I think I'm kind of a, I'm very uh, social, but I'm also very um, solitary. I like time to myself. I like to be with myself. I paint. I do all these things that you know require that you be by yourself, and um, it sort of suits me in a way. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens with this book. It's my first one. I'm obviously a little um, nervous about the whole thing, but. Um, and jumping, just like I told you to do, jump, just do it, go. <laughs> yeah. What is the genre that's so appealing about about you, like with the magic and the fairies? Like, what is is there like any like reason why you're so fascinated with this, or is this just something that just came to your mind? 
you know, um, when I was a little girl, I, I, I told you before, I spent a lot of time with my grandmother, and yeah. uh, uh, she she was a would-be witch, is what I like to call her. She, <laughs> yeah. uh, had, she had palm reading books around her house. She had fake crystal balls. They weren't crystal balls. They were like, I don't know what they were. They were things that probably flowers went in, these little globes, and she pulled the flowers out and said they were crystal balls. Yeah. <laughs> and she used to tell me and terrify me with these stories that there were all these addicts uh, there's all these fairies in the attic, and uh, the fairies were at war with the spiders <laughs> in the attic, and then it was a grand, you know, battle above us, wow. and then all the, the light fixtures, all the screws in the light fixtures were actual peepholes for the fairies. Wow. So, I know. So, from a very early age, I was really aware of this other world, even, you know, whether it existed or not. In my head, it was very real, and um, ever since then, I don't know. I mean, I've always... I've always had my astrological charts done. Um, I'm always curious about psychics. When you, when you do Highlander conventions and stuff, there's always psychics and people. I always have a reading done. I always find it fascinating. Um, uh, I want to believe in magic, I think. I, I love, like I said, I love Harry Potter. Um, I, I don't know. I, it just suits, it suits my temperament. I, I've written things that are not fantasy and that are um, much darker, um, mainly film stuff, but... Um, I don't know. For some reason, this one just came to me that way. It becomes kind of nebulous. I'm not really sure why it turned into what it did, the book, but it just did. Yeah, like, you could tell because I, I read it. It's very good. Um, you put a lot of emphasis in worlds and you know dimensions and you know the fact is about love. It, it's 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 a it's an intricate story. Like all this, you just thought of this basically, right? This is all you. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was listening to, um, I know I wanted to write about the oracles. I, I think that's very interesting. And, yeah. uh, and, and archaic Greece, and I, I don't really, I can't tell you what the, the, when I decided to create the portal and that she would travel through and, and when she traveled into this other dimension called the paradigm, um, I, I can't, it's, it just, I don't know how to describe it other than when you read about other writers who say their characters took over. Yeah. Um, it was kind of that that feeling, and I'm not sure what happened, but it um, <laughs> sounds very vague. But I, it's a, it's like painting. It's like, why did you paint that? It's like I don't I don't really know. It just sort of came out. I, I don't remember writing a, a clear outline of anything. I just yeah. remember uh, the hardest part about the, of the whole book is um, once I wrote it all, I reshuffled the order because I knew that she had to be. She's a Sephira is a mystic, um, so this misfit mystic, and she she wants to be an oracle. But all these changes happen to her, and she's um, given the choice to travel to a parallel dimension to rescue a warrior, Ithion, who's a Greek warrior, and to bring him back to Earth before Love is annihilated from the cosmos. Right. So uh -huh. it's very young adult sort of ideas, not very sophisticated, but it's you know that's what it is. Um, but when she travels to the portal, she turns into this butterfly girl sort of this creature of legend thought to be extinct called the, the, the Shalili and um, it's just her adventures going going through the paradigm but she's quickly captured and uh, sold at auction and then caged by the very man she came to find and then it sort of takes a Scheherazade um, turn and so she's this caged creature who has to convince him about who she is but the only problem is he cannot he has no memory of his life on earth because he was pulled into this parallel dimension against his will. 
So she decides, all right, well, I'm going to tell him the story. So yeah. she tells him the story of this mystic and the warrior and all of this in Greece. And unbeknownst to him, it's their story. You know, it's the story yeah. of love and the story to, you know, um, fulfill this prophecy and save love from annihilation in the cosmos. It has like <laughs> so, that. It has like that. I was gonna say it has like the um the notebook aspect to it with a mix of like Harry Potter, a mix of like Lord of the Rings. It's like all mixture in one. It's pretty cool. Oh well, thanks. It you know it sounds much more complicated complicated than it is when you read it. But I mean, because when you have to tell a story kind of backwards, it's interesting. That was the hardest part. It's like switching back and forth from the parallel dimension to um the real world on Earth. Um, it was a challenge, but you know it was just shuffling it. I was going to ask you too, was there someone in your background, I guess you were saying your grandmother, that made you feel that you could write this? I guess um, that was the inspiration, basically, right, for you to write this book? I don't know. I mean, um, well, Highlander, you know, I was on Highlander for so long, yeah. and that's pure fantasy. Um, I was in, you know, Death's the Incredible Hulk. I mean, I'm pretty yeah. steeped in the fantasy world. I like sci-fi. I'm not a huge sci-fi aficionado, but I mean, um, I like I like imagining alternative world. I was, there's this film, I don't know if you've seen it, called Coherence. Have you seen it? No. I was in it a couple of years ago. It's a sci-fi film, but it's sort of um, quantum physics type of sci-fi where it's about parallel worlds. So I'm, I seem to gravitate to the stories that I'm uh, involved with as a character, as a writer, where there's just uh, another option, always. You know, there's something, something above or below what you see that, you know, it's actually kind of happening, sort of the energies that are within us and going on around us. So, I don't know if that inspired me or not. Mm -hmm. I, honestly, I, like, I, like I said, it's like I don't, when I paint something, I'm not sure why yeah. I've chosen that painting. Yeah. I, and if I try to analyze it too much, then it kind of dissolves in my and. To go back, I want to go back to Highlander a little bit because that's pretty much, uh -huh. I guess, the start of like the fantasy genre for you. How was how was your time on Highlander? Because you know, there's Highlander conventions, and you know, to this day, you know, Highlander is still so popular, and people watch it everywhere. What was your experience like on the show? Uh, you know, that was that's the best job I've ever had. I mean, um, I, I was I didn't even have to audition for that job. That's how good it is. Wow. <laughs> for me. Wow. Uh, 
<laughs> so I, you know, that started the journey, and um, I met Adrian Paul, who was the Highlander on the TV show, and uh, the whole crew and cast, and I don't know, I, I, I loved the episode I was in, the very first one, and I guess the fan base, which, you know, this is back in the day of franchise television, where a lot of people, you either knew what that show was, or you did not know what yeah. that was at all, but you didn't have these alternative channels or whatever, and... Um, um, I don't know, I guess whatever that fan base was, they really liked the character, uh, Amanda, and they called me back and, you know, had me in for at least three to six to all of the episodes, you know, in a year for over six years, so, um, it's, you know, it's so good. I was in Paris, for God's sake, I was eating French food and <laughs> drinking wine and walking around seeing the beautiful sights and then getting to play this character who was 1,100 years old and mm. had an accent and a flashback and wigs and beautiful locations. It was, it was stellar. It was amazing. I, I feel so lucky, and I'm still great friends with Adrian and you know Jim Burns and uh, and Kirsch, all the all those guys. And I know it's it's really a special thing for me. I'm so I feel so good that I was had that experience. It was you know it was really great. Um, for the role of Amanda, um, you know she's like you said she's like eleven hundred years old. Did you have to like um put your soul into it and you know picture her eyes of of everything she's dealt with being an immortal and you know the losing people like how how did you try to play her like did you try to play her fun like you know when you see the character you know you see she was fun she was adventurous she was very pretty much blunt like um did you had a, you know, did you mold her after you, or like, how did you want to, how did you play her, basically? You know, um, she was on the page, she was pretty, pretty solid, um, yeah. and then, I don't know, it was just one of those circumstances where I understood her immediately, Yeah. and I understood her love for Duncan, the Highlander guy, and, um, <laughs> um, I don't know, I mean, it's, it's funny because when I was developing her, in that short period of time I, I had before I actually had to, you know, start acting in that role, I thought a lot about my grandmother back to her. Wow. Because she was so mischievous. And so um, she was a person who liked to go in and stir it up. As she got older, she got more eccentric and a little bit more difficult. And we just, you know, come in and stir up the situation and just wreak havoc on <laughs> from the scene and leave. And you're like, what? What just happened? So, um, I immediately when I read him, I went, oh, Grandma Murphy, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I used that as, I think, the, the jumping off point. And then the rest was, I don't know, I got really cool costumes, and then there's the swords, and there's Paris, and I got a cute haircut. <laughs> it just sort of evolved, and they kind of um, kept writing her really well. David Abramowitz and the whole writing staff of Highlander. I don't know. It's just one of those circumstances where it was a nice, um, marriage of ideas and energy and luck, I think. I really, really loved it. 
And also, you know, um, they had the spinoff, which your character, Amanda, was in Highlander the Raven. Was that spinoff actually meant for you? Or because I know they had a lot of standalone episodes with different females for, I guess, for that role. Or was uh, did you get that role by default or that role was always meant for you? I, I, would know. I don't know the exact answer to that. I know they were looking at lots of different um, women for uh, a role that last season of Highlander that Adrian was in. Yeah. Um, and um, I, didn't, I didn't see any of them, unfortunately. But <clears throat> I don't know. I, I, they just called me and just said, would you want to do this? And I was like, of course I want to do that. Yeah. Um, so I, it may have been by default. Just by, I, I guess because those episodes aired and they had the fan feedback and I don't know. But, you know, Raven was, was fought with all sorts of difficulties, um, including, the, you know, including what kind of show it was supposed to be. Uh, of course, I was always fighting for a more Highlander-type show yeah. because I feel that the appeal of the show is the romance of it and the flashbacks and, you know, the drama that's entailed with that. Um, and the other side was sort of like, oh, this is kind of a, a moonlighting cop show <laughs> type of scenario. So there was a little bit of... And then, then when you do a production like that that's funded by um, American, German, French, Canadian, I mean, just everybody has their hand in it. Um, everyone wants something different from the show. And um, I don't know, I, I was just telling someone the other day, it's like, if it had been given maybe one more year, because I think the show got better as it went along. Yeah. Um, if it had been given another year, it might have found a seat, but maybe not. It might have been a little bit before its time. I mean, she, Amanda was kind of one of the first um, female sort of kick-ass, Nikita was on at the time. That's another one. Yeah. But, you know, that's kind of the first shows of, of women taking over that position as the the, the hero, you know, quote the hero. Yeah. Um, and it, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't think people knew how to write for it. I don't think it was really um, of the time. Yeah. It was at the, you know, right at the outskirts of it, but um, I don't know. It was it was a good experience. It was a difficult experience, but I I really liked it. I just don't think that we found our feet when mm. we did it. Yeah, I know. I I think you know every show that has a first season run is still is like a trying out period, and I think you know you was you already you already knew the character of Amanda down pack, but I know as as a viewer watching it, I just think they had problems story wise, you know, coming up yeah. with a certain scenarios for you for your character, you know, like I I don't know, I think whoever was involved with it didn't really watch Highlander and, you know, see how your character really was, you know. I don't, like, I don't know who did it, but I, I just don't think they followed your character how she was. But, um, I don't know, I think you had good chemistry with Paul Johannesson and, um, um, you know, there's a lot of good cameos. Um, Jim came on the show one episode, so it, um, it, it was pretty good. It was pretty good. It was okay. You know, um, the big difficulty, especially at that time, I think now you can get away with her being a bit more cheeky and a bit more um, yeah. immoral. <laughs> but at that time, they were they were um, you know they were really determined to make her heroic, and yeah. she's not basically a heroic character. Yeah, but, you know, in her heart of hearts, she was compassionate and I think a good person. But she, you know, it's you know she, you kind of lose the fun when you when you have to be the hero and you have to take ahead every episode. Yeah, you, you know, have to justify the reason for her doing that. So it's a stretch that kind of character there when she's just been sort of the um, distraction and the fun-loving, you know, character who, you know, the mischief maker. I know, you you basically became a female Duncan McCloud and the Amanda character just went away, basically. Yeah. Yeah, she got to say witty things, but that was about it. I mean, she couldn't do anything, you know. Once again, I think, I think it was, it 
given it another season and maybe a, you know, a powwow with everyone, we could have come up with something, but maybe not. Maybe it's just impossible to make that kind of character heroic on that level. And, um, and maybe you can't have a character who's that um, amoral on that level. I'm not sure if you can have that character as a lead in the series. Although there's Breaking Bad, there's all sorts of characters now where we can, take, we, we can assimilate that um, idea of someone being incredibly flawed. Mm. And still being the, you know, the um, anti-hero, this kind of character. But, I don't know. We can't do anything about it now. <laughs> 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 um, Elizabeth, um, how would you describe yourself? Oh, we'll get back. <laughs> <laughs> how would you describe um, yourself? <laughs> oh, wow. Um, primarily um, a creative person. And yes. um, hardworking um, oh, a little wiser than I was 10 years ago, hopefully. Um, motherhood has definitely um, altered my perspective on life. I'm less myopic. Um, <laughs> but, but I'm a work in progress. You know, I'm, 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 uh, I've learned a lot of lessons. Um, but I would say I would define myself as primarily a creative person who cares uh, a lot about not just people in my, you know, close circle, but... Um, Concerned about a lot of things um, in this world, this horrible, beautiful world, as I like to say. You know, it's mm. a, um, but primarily creative, and I think that that's my purpose on this planet is to to try to impart something, whether it's visually or to a film or to a book or to a painting, something that's um, uh, that's from my experience, and that is. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying it's not wise. It's just from my experience. And I think there's something, if you can listen to people who've lived a full life, there's, I'm always inspired by them. Not that I'm inspiring to anyone, but um, I think that art, the arts are a way of healing, healing people and their, uh, their wounds. And it's also a way of uh, uplifting people. And I, I really like being part of that world. I'm primarily an artist, I guess. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask you also, what is your most marked characteristic? Oh, um, <laughs> um, fun, maybe? Fun? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of fun. I, have a, I, I, I like to see the lighter things of life. Um, I like adventure. Um, you know, I'm a go-go-go type of person. Pretty, pretty high energy, um, maybe too high energy for most people, but, um, <laughs> I'm a spitballer, you know, I'm um, always with people who are collaborating on stuff. I've just got all sorts of ideas. And I just say, just let me think out loud. You don't have to like any of it. But it's just coming out of my mouth now. So people, it drives a lot of people crazy, but that's sort of the way. I'm really fast. I think fast. And um, I create a lot of things. I come up with a lot of ideas. And mainly I just write them down now because it does drive people crazy. <laughs> it's hard to be sort of this conduit for ideas and write them down. And some of them find a life and some of them don't but I, that's sort of the way I work I think that's what a creative does alright you founded um, Flapper Films in 2012 can you tell me about that uh, well after I had a kid and she finally got to that first year like um, when she was four uh, to high school uh, excuse me kindergarten I think kindergarten for that half a day um, her school was very near a beautiful park in um, California and I would walk the park for a couple of hours just trying to figure out what the 
you know, what do I want to do? Do I want to go back to acting? Do I want to do this? Because I had her at 40, when I was 44, yeah. which is, you know, pretty late. And I was just like, all right, how am I going to harness my energy? What am I going to do? Because it's going to be, you know, a couple of years, I'll have a lot of more time. And uh, a friend of mine named Maggie Kiley, who's a wonderful director, was involved in a, um, uh, a, film, a female film director uh, competition, and I thought, well, maybe maybe I could do that. And I thought, well, do I just want to make feature films, what I want to do? And I thought, no, I want to make something that gives back to young women, mm-hmm. primarily. And um, I, at that same time, I met this amazing creative person, the most creative person I know, her name is Hillary Thomas at the um, Lineage Dance Company in Pasadena. It's a modern dance company. And uh, I, I saw them perform, and I'd never really seen... Um, a performance like that where, I mean, I was kind of brought to tears by dance, and I'm not a dancer. I love dance, but I, I'm not really schooled in it. I'm not a dancer, but it moved me in a really visceral way, and um, I approached her and said, I, I think I want to be a filmmaker, and I need to have a short film uh, to submit to this contest. What do you think? I have this idea, blah, 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 about this woman having a stroke, and da, 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 and she was like, yeah, I'll do that with you. I was like, oh, cool. So it started this amazing collaboration, a very vibrant, uh, ongoing collaboration I have with this dance company where um, either I film a narrative script that involves dance or I'm adapting one of their my performances to a film. And it's just sort of ongoing. I have so many films, so much footage in my, uh, you know, my coffers back there where I'm trying, you know, I'm trying to get it all edited and done. Mm-hmm. Um but um, it's all about, you know, this, this, their company is a nonprofit that's dedicated to raising awareness for other nonprofits and to just basically bringing the arts to to everyone. And um, it really suits my mission statement of trying to create inspirational, educational content for multi generational women, not just young women, but just you know, women in general. And um, that's sort of where I am with Flapper Films, and it just makes sense, even though it's a small production company. Um, and I do a lot of film myself. We have very, you know, small crews. We create sort of art films and, uh, and educational films. We're in the middle of creating a, um, an adaptation of a, a live show, which will be a full-length feature, you know, film mm-hmm. for the educational market um, at the moment. So it's, you know, I've got a lot on my plate, but um, they're really inspiring to me. So that's basically what Slapper Films is. Okay. In your opinion, what are your thoughts on women in acting now? Do you think the roles for women um, have evolved? Like with Star Wars, The Force Awakens, you have a female lead. And now the new Star Wars movie, Rogue One, is a female lead. Do you think females are getting an even break now in cinema? Well, I don't know if it's an even break. I mean, you just sort of watch what's going on in, in the whole industry. But, um, but I think there's definitely a swell of um, energy and... Um, momentum for women to to be in the forefront of everything and to get equal pay and all, all these issues that are really mm-hmm. uh, in the forefront of what's going on in the news now. Um, I love seeing the new Star Wars. I love that character. I love um, the new Wonder Woman and I love, you know, <laughs> any time, like the film Lucy with uh, Scarlett Johansson. It's like whatever that film was about. I just love going and watching the character. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's too old for my daughter to and she's in, you know, she's in love with all um, Marvel films, DC films, and all that. She's ten, but you know, and when I told, we went to see the new Batman and to see Wonder Woman, and she, you know, it was exciting. 
when her music cue came on, when Wonder Woman's music cue yeah. came on, I was like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's what, what it needs to be. So, I mean, you know, I don't know if it's a star. We'll see. Time will, time will tell on the, all of that. Um, but I think it's, it's great. I mean, I just watched Melissa McCarthy on um, at Jimmy Fallon's spot where they're doing, you know, their lip sync battle. Have you seen that? It's yes. so funny. Uh, you know, she's like, whoever said that women could not be uh, funny and beautiful. I mean, she looks amazing, and she's so amazingly funny. Uh, I don't know. I, I think the world will change. I think 10 years from now, my daughter will be in a very different world, just like, you know, gay people. When I when I shot my uh, documentary on The Damn Deal, which is all about these young drag queens who participate in beauty pageants in Arkansas, at that point in time, which was in the 80s, you know, um, it was still so taboo to be gay in Arkansas, and now you know the world is a very different place. And I'm I'm hoping that the same thing happens for women. There's no reason it shouldn't. Where it's just we're we're as kick-ass as everybody else, and we're getting paid as much, and you know it's just all good. Yeah, you said you know Arkansas. You think um has Arkansas changed? Have you been to Arkansas? Has has it evolved? You know. You know, I have not been there in a couple of years. Um, my father died uh, recently, and. Um, Sorry to hear that. My mom, my mom is, is kind of moving near me and all that. So I have a handful of friends in Arkansas. Um, I'm sure it's different, but I mean, when I was growing up, Arkansas was a completely, you know, it was a democratic state, and now it's very Republican. So that's a very different <laughs> world than what I grew up in. So I can't really give you the answer because I haven't been there, other than I have a couple of friends, and um, they're solid, and they seem like the same people. <laughs> that's all I can tell you. <laughs> I know, like, usually people from there, like, they'll they'll stay there and, you know, they won't, like, leave. You know, people who are from, like, the South or the Midwest, they won't leave that town. They're usually there for life, right? Or, or they, they run as fast as they can. Yeah, 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 that's true. <laughs> that's true. Exception. That's me, kind of. Like, yeah. how do I get out of your pageants on my way out? I mean, and, and I love the South. I've always gone back there. Um, when my parents were living there, I would go back there to sort of reshuffle at different parts of my life. And actually, I had an art studio there at one point. And, you know, it's a really great place for me to go back and reassess. Um, I don't know what it's going to be like now that my mom's not there. But, um, um, you know, it's just different. The South is different. And I, I don't know. I, I like Arkansas. I love the people that I that I know there, um, but you know, they're rednecks everywhere, they're mm. everywhere, <laughs> they're here, in my neighborhood, they're, you know, they're assholes everywhere, um, so it's Arkansas, it's not, uh, you know, unique in that, Every, you know, I just, I also don't like the humidity, because yeah. Arkansas is incredibly humid, and I just can't abide it anymore, <laughs> I'm weak. I'm weak. <laughs> um, two more questions, <laughs> two more questions, um, what makes you most happy in life? Oh, hearing my daughter really laugh and um, have a good time watching her play with my new dogs and um, spending time with my family, I guess. Um, also, I love being um, in Europe and L.A. I mean, I kind of split my time uh, between the two places and I like, as much as I would love to be in this sort of country setting and uh, on a small farm with all sorts of animals and all of that, I do love uh, being in cultural centers and being able to go to museums and seeing beautiful um, works of art and seeing, you know, these pieces by phenomenal uh, performance artists, plays, you know, I, that makes me happy. It sort of lights my fire again. I'm like, oh, yes, okay, okay. That's 
get back on track. That's where you that's where you belong because that's where I sort of buzz and feel the happiest. Okay, and my final question for you is what would the Elizabeth of today tell the Elizabeth of yesterday? Oh wow. Um yesterday is in how many years ago? <laughs> <laughs> when you was well, a when, or just literally when, yesterday. You no, know, no. When when you was a teenager, what would you tell your teenage self? Oh wow! Um, uh, don't run down the hall and <laughs> bang into every door. Every bang into every door you can to see what's inside of it. <laughs> Just walk down the hall and knock on the door and sort of listen before you open the door. <laughs> Basically, just just slow down and um, don't be so manic and um, you know take the time. Take your time, enjoy your life, enjoy being young, enjoy being um, curious. Uh, not that I'm curious now, but um, just slow down a bit, maybe. Yeah. And um, yeah. what and what's next for Elizabeth? What's next? What's next in the agenda for you? Uh, well, I'm like I said, I'm in the middle of filming this uh, uh, dance film, and I'm trying to get my book out into the world, which is massive. Deal, much bigger than I anticipated, um, and probably touring a lot. I'll be doing some conventions with oh. Adrian. I, I'm hoping. Um, oh, okay. To, to promote it, instead of sort of doing a traditional book tour type thing, I'll probably do sci-fi fantasy conventions. Seems to make more sense to me. That's sort of my demographic and the demographic of the book. Yeah. Um, and then I have, um, I actually have a nonfiction book that I've already written with my friend Adrian Wilkinson, who was on Xena. I actually met Adrian um, on a really, really bad movie. I'm not going to tell you the name of it because I don't want you to look it up. <laughs> oh, come on. Sci-fi movie. Oh, my God, it's horrible. But I met Adrian, and we became fast friends. We were the only girls on the on the show. Wow. And um, we were both incredibly miscast, but we became fast friends. But when the year, the year after I had a kid, I became really aware of all the products and everything that was not out there for young moms because I had so many questions. And um, so we wrote this book called The Go-To Gal Ultimate Emergency Organizer, which is based, it's like kind of a FEMA-like, a mom-friendly FEMA-like book on um, emergency prevention and disaster preparedness. Wow. So it's all written, it's formatted, yeah, that'll probably be the next one that we, uh, that I publish. Um, it's finished. It, we also have all these products that go along with it. It's just a little bit bigger venture than even, you know, doing your own book. But um, that's up next. Uh, I've, got, you know, I've, got, I've got a lot of things on my plate. Too many. It would be embarrassing to tell you how many things I have spinning at, at the moment. But um, moving forward and also being a mom and trying to um, get my 10-year-old steered in the right direction, God help me. Uh, and if anybody wanted to, I guess, get a hold of you or they want to see your work, where could um, people find you on your social media? Um, well, I'm at Flapper Films, at Flapper Press, um, on Instagram, I'm uh, at the Shalili, and at Flapper Press, but also um, I have a website, flapperfilms.com, at flapperpress.com, I have a YouTube channel, if you go to Flapper Films, you can get to the YouTube channel, and you can see all my work, so I'm kind of all over the place. <laughs> Elizabeth, it's a pleasure talking to you and you've been a busy woman and your book is great and I can't wait to see what the future holds for you. Thank you so much. Thanks thanks, and good luck to you with everything. I appreciate you um, talking to me. Not, not a problem. I hope everybody out there was intellectually stimulated by way of mobile devices. Have a good one.